Hey, let's get a job. This week, we're talking editing for movie trailers with... My name is Autumn Moore, and I'm a trailer editor. What does a trailer editor do? What people like to hear is we edit movie trailers, and that's true. That's mm-hmm. the glamorous side of it all. But we do all advertising for TV shows, streaming, movies, anything in that aspect. So it's anything from an Instagram ad you see on your phone to a commercial for a movie you see on TV to the big trailer you see in the theaters. Yeah, so this is definitely way beyond that first two and a half minute thing that is dropping before whatever big blockbuster we used to go to see. Yeah, no, and that's the the glamorous side of the job, I will say. And that's the fun part, but there's also a lot of smaller pieces that are also really fun to cut, but very important too. That's where a lot of the money is. Mm -hmm. Just to do a little background of the industry itself, I don't work at a studio. So a movie is made and it's sold to the studio or the studio buys it. And then the studio has a marketing division that's like, hey, okay, we need to start marketing this. And so they go to what we call trailer houses. So Mm -hmm. I work at a trailer house. There's probably 15, 20 in town in LA. There's some in New York. They're kind of starting to pop up in other places as well. So I work at the trailer house. So when I am given a movie, the movie is given to my producers from the studio. So you're a vendor of this small. Yeah. Yeah. So we're a vendor to them. So each trailer house kind of operates a little differently. I've been to three trailer houses, so I can speak to them and they all kind of work similarly, but there are some differences. Some have real hierarchy and who cuts trailers and some Mm. are more open to whoever wants to cut on it, go for it. Do movie studios or distribution companies, do they typically stick with certain trailer houses for their movies or is it Paramount says, I'm just going to go with whoever I like or Paramount says, I only do trailer park, for example. Another misconception is trailers are also very competitive. So Paramount will give one movie to four to five different houses. Mm. So they want to hit us against each other to get really creative and unique and a lot of different ideas. So yes, it's all about relationships and what trailer houses they like to work with. But at the end of the day, it's all about the best creative and who puts out the best idea. Gotcha. So if, say, for example, Paramount has, I don't know why I'm using Paramount, but... I was like, interesting choice. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Let's go with Netflix because Netflix is... Okay. Well, that's a whole nother breed though. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Let's stick with Paramount. Okay. So Paramount has, I don't know a new Star Trek movie coming out uh-huh. and they bid it out to four or five different houses, each of which spit out a version of the trailer. And they just say, cool, we like this one because it's, I don't know, funny, emotional. Yeah. So the trailer houses, most of the ones I've been at will spit out multiple versions of the trailer. So they'll spit out, I'm pitted against multiple editors within my company too. Mm. Each vendor will put out two to three to five different trailers. Mm-hmm. Kind of all going in different directions, but just seeing what they think the movie should be and how it should be sold. At this point, when you say that you're kind of figuring out to see what you think the movie should be, is that independent from influence of the studio at this point? The studio will have a direction call. So the marketing team on the studio side will have had meetings and discussions on what they think will work and Mm -hmm. will be given that knowledge. But ultimately, we're the first people to take a stab at it with the media. Okay. So if I hear the direction call, I can obviously use that to help mold my decisions. But if there's something I intuitively really don't agree with, I can shift and mold to what I think will work better. And is the direction call always adhered to? Do they typically select if they say, I want a heartfelt comedy feeling with this, where that makes you cry twice by the end of the trailer? Does the studio typically go with that? Or they pretty much say, if this trailer wows me, I'm going to go with that one. Once you turn in a trailer, Mm -hmm. 
there's many versions. Like trailers finish on version 50. There's a lot of back and forth. And sure. they'll, it'll even go as far as, okay, we like this version 50. We're now we're going to test it. So that opens the door to the public and seeing more opinions. So they might be like, we're going heartfelt, make you cry twice. They test it, test terrible. Now we're going comedy. Mm-hmm. It can switch a lot based on testing or even just how things play out. Right. Or if the director gets a say, it's kind of a lot of, I don't want to say guess and check, but does this work? Do yeah. we like this? And back and forth with that. There's a lot of money in the trailer in the movie being put out there. So I guess they want to affect the most people possible. Totally, totally. And it can be frustrating as an editor, but ultimately the goal is to get people in the seat. So mm-hmm. whatever it takes to do that. Okay. So in the timeline of this, the studios put out the call. Your house has put together four or five different versions of it. There's four or five different versions from four or five other companies. And the studio decides, cool, we like your direction. So what happens then? Rarely will they be like, okay, this is actually never have they been like, okay, we pick this one. (laughs) Usually they'll give us feedback on things that are working, things that aren't working. Sometimes they'll even, because they've seen 20 different versions. They'll be like, can you shift this one this way? I liked this bit from this, but you cut it better. So let's do this. Yeah. So there's a lot of back and forth initially with your initial client. And then of course they have bosses who have opinions and they have bosses who Mm -hmm. have opinions. So it just starts molding with more and more insight. So yeah, it's a lot of back and forth and a lot of collaboration shifting to things. Oh, I saw this and another one. This scene is really important to us. Can you make sure you highlight this or things like that? If everything is going to be molded together and be a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B through Z, on your initial cut, do you find that you swing for the fences almost? Because you know it's going to be an amalgamation of other things at the end, or are you trying to second guess what that amalgamation will be? Personally, I like to swing for the fence. I'm going to do something I love that is weird and cool and kind of out of the box. And if it strings a chord with you, run with it. I will say that kills a lot on V1. Yeah. But it's either you like it or you I don't. I feel better about my cutting. I think there's some great editors out there who they know the clients. They know this is kind of where they want. This is their style. And they have great success with that. And I admire that very much. So sticking within their parameters specifically, and I'm going to do exactly what they say. I know what they like. Mm-hmm. I currently work at a very large shop. And I think the benefit of that is I am able to swing for the fences sometimes because there's four other people at my shop cutting on it. Like you'll get yeah. someone who cuts, here's what we're expecting, here's what we need, here's an idea that's a little different, here's another idea that takes it a different angle. And I think that's a huge benefit to a shop like the one I'm currently at. So when you are going through this and figuring out to swing for the fences to figure out how are you going to put together this trailer, what footage are you getting to watch? Are you looking at a full version of the film, a rough cut of the film? It, it really depends on the project. Some mm-hmm. projects come in as they're shooting it, they give us dailies of everything they shoot. Mm. So very early on in the process, the whole movie isn't even done being shot, but they want to get a teaser out quickly. So you have a few scenes that are assembled together, that assistants assemble together, mm-hmm. but you really have no idea if the director would do it that mm. way, I guess. But uh, other times we get a rough cut of the movie. It just really depends on when they bought the movie, how much money they're putting into the marketing campaign yeah. and things like that. So I've, I've cut from anything from here's all the footage, good luck to some directors like to do. Like, here's a scene, no script, have fun. Yeah, it's, it sounds very tentpole. Christopher Nolan or Marvel type movies are like, we've shot the cool stuff first. We're giving you this and no explanation under lock and key. Whereas a Hugh Grant rom-com will be like, here's the movie. Yeah. And it, I will say most of the time we're given the script at least. Mm. And if we're going to give dailies, they'll give us everything. Most of the time I think I'm given a movie. Is that process similar? Because I know I, I keep referencing film, but you mentioned episodic TV. So something like Netflix or I don't know if real TV is on TV anymore, but is that process similar? How does that work? Yeah. So with someone like 
like Netflix, who releases all at once, they have huge campaigns. And same with mm-hmm. Amazon shows. They have trailer one, trailer two, teaser sometimes, and then TV campaigns and the social media campaigns, but not episodics. I don't think I've ever mm. cut an episodic for something like that because it all comes at once. I feel like the episodic thing is just slowly starting to start new again with the Mandalorian. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like My early career, I started in just broadcast TV. So I was working ABC, CBS, all those things. And they mm-hmm. have trailers, TV spots for the whole thing. And then they did have episodics okay. as well. And that TV and trailer editing, it's all editing and it's all the same thing, but there is a different trailer houses handle how they split it up very differently. So, okay. All right. So let's hop back on our timeline. They've chosen direction. They're going with your direction. They're selling you. We also like what this other house did or this other editor in your house did put it together. How does that team built it. I'm assuming it's not you working on an island by yourself, right? No, no, no. From the beginning, before we even send the V1, it's not all on me. And this is all from the structure of the studio setup. There are some very small filmmakers that send it to one editor who works from home and doesn't work within the vendor setup. But in a traditional trailer house's setup, I'm given the direction call or talk to my producer about it. So I have a producer and then we have junior producers or coordinators that help with the like dialogue between everyone. We have a graphics team. So I don't make my own graphics. Mm -hmm. So I can talk to them and give them an idea of what I want, but I don't have to make them. We have a music team. So the music team helps pull a bunch of music that they think might be cool. I can always suggest things, kind of point them in a direction that I want to go, but there is a team there to help me select music. Copywriters are really helpful. So basically we'll get like a copy packet. Like here's a bunch of ideas of ways to do this. And sometimes they'll be like, this line could go here to kind of tie it all together. They'll Mm -hmm. they'll give suggestions like that, which can be really helpful. So yeah, it's like a huge team, even just to get the V1 out. Okay. So at that point, then if you're chosen, are you working on the teaser for a big project first? And once that teaser's figured out, then you're moving on to the next trailer one, then trailer two, then trailer three. And then from there, everything gets cut down. Typically, if you had success with the teaser or the trailer, they'll typically keep the same team. There'll obviously still be competition with other vendors, but Mm -hmm. you have a pretty good grasp on it. So they might send it to less vendors or less editors because they're like, okay, this person really understands the project. And then when it gets down to TV, there is always the great trailer editors are very busy with great trailers. So Mm -hmm. there is a little bit of hierarchy in terms of everyone cuts TV spots. It always happens, but juniors typically don't cut a trailer right off the bat. They traditionally work on TV spots. So that's when, as the campaign continues, you get more help because TV campaigns will have more editors on them than trailer campaigns. So when you're figuring these things out, is there a, you know, a lot of these students, they learn formal ways of editing. Is that something you follow or is your editing process more by gut? What I always say is those things are very important and you have to learn the rules before you can break the rules. So yes, you have to follow the things you learn. In, well, I didn't learn this, but the things you learn when you learn how to edit <laughs> are very important. And there are certain clients that want that very ABC storytelling. This is how it's done. Here's where you bring in the montage. You need a sound up here, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think learning those fundamentals are very important so that you know when you can break those rules and why you broke that rule. If mm-hmm. I choose to go CDA, why did I choose to do that? How is that helping tell this specific trailer? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think as you edit more and more, you just have to know why you broke that rule. You can't just do it out of the blue, yeah. if that makes sense. 
Is there a basic formula then that would be the rule that you start with and then you kind of expand from there? So like the process of becoming an editor, when I talk to some assistants or juniors who are trying to work on their skill, there's a formula that you have to learn before you can break it, if that makes sense. So when I help Mm -hmm. mentor some younger people, I I make their spots fit the formula. Unless you have a specific reason why you're breaking it, you can't break it yet. You know, you have to do it this way. And I think breaking it is where the fun is and breaking it is where really cool work comes out of, but you have to know Mm -hmm. the formula first and know, and, and many spots finish formula. You intro the characters, you develop the story, you live it on a cliffhanger. That's it. But the really cool things, in my opinion, are things that twist that narrative a little. So you're saying that the formula is, it it almost feels similar to making short films or feels like there is a three act process. If I could relate it to that. Yeah. No, I mean, at the end of the day, we're just storytellers. We're just telling you a story to get you in the seat. And so when I was learning the basics of editing, I read a lot of screenwriting books. You're just telling a story and how you tell that story is the same as Mm. everyone tells a story. And then as same with storytelling, you can tell a story, boy meets girl, they fall in love. That's the, you know, or you can tell the story, girl is happy at end because she met this boy. Like there's just different ways to slice a story. And I think learning the traditional way is very important. Yeah, yeah. You can't slice that cake until you know how to make the cake. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something younger editors, they're like, this is really cool. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't explain why it doesn't work unless you understand the basic story. I don't know. (laughs) Is that a good practice project for people who are starting out to do is to cut something in that basic storyline just to to get to understand it? Yeah. And I think if if someone in your class lists their favorite trailers or their favorite TV spots, they may not follow that formula. And so I think it can Mm. be frustrating as a new person to be like, but I did this thing that's really cool. Just know when you're hired, you're hired to tell a story and whether you tell it ABC or CBA doesn't matter, but you just have to make sure the story comes across. And yes, music is so important and so cool. And you can do a lot of cool things with it, but if you watch a spot and all you do is cool, but you don't know anything about it, I think that's Mm. not ideal. Like that's not the point. Our point is to tell a story. That's so interesting because I've always thought of trailers very similar to music videos that if you stick to just cool music beats and just cool shot, cool shot, cool shot, cool shot. That's a music video. You're not saying anything. That's a music video. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a place, there are times in a campaign where they're like, just make me feel excited. And that's, that's different. Or there's times of you have six seconds to make me feel excited. Like that's, that is a prompt we're given. But in that six seconds, if you can make me feel excited and let me know this girl's the main character and they're going on an adventure, that's even better. It feels like you have more, not that the narrative is not important, but more narrative pressure in those first early trailers, but for when they get a week before something is premiering and you're just like a 15 second spot here, 15 second spot here, 15 second spot here, that becomes more rhythmic and music video-y. It's always interesting. So the trailer finishes, great. So you have a TV spot. So you have a 30 second mm-hmm. TV spot. They, they love it. Then they'll be like, okay, do a cut town. So you are telling a story very well and very cool in 30 seconds. Now tell the same story very well and very cool in 15 seconds. Now tell the yeah. same story very well and very cool in six seconds. It's like, how do you do the same thing in shorter and shorter time? So yeah, that sounds like a really great exercise, to be honest. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's tell it's the story in a minute, 30, 15 Yeah. And, and, that, and that's, that's what uh, assistants or juniors, as they're coming up, they often start with cut downs because you'll get mm-hmm. an editor's 30 second pro- or even a trailer. A trailer has to be turned into a 30. So mm-hmm. a full trailer. How do you get this into 30 seconds? You're playing with the same timeline. So you can kind of see what the editor did, but then you got to do it in 30 and 15. And it's like, it's definitely an exercise that is done over yeah. and over and getting 
good at it is important. <laughs> it also sounds like if you want to understand or at least recognize the storytelling aspect in trailers to go watch boring trailers. Not that they're boring, but basic trailers, like not uh, just, wild and exciting. I like an asshole because these trailers no, 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 make no, no, no. money big. Sure, of course, of course. <laughs> Something like a trailer for Baby Driver. Phenomenal killer but its narration is all over the place you still get it but it's not an abc thing mm-hmm. whereas if you go and you watch a trailer for i don't know 27 dresses mm-hmm. it's going to be a very linear abc that's totally. like a trailer yeah and there's nothing wrong with linear it's just if you have a reason to break it i then love that it. that's exciting yeah and often trailers that finish are often linear mm-hmm. there is a technique to it so yeah i don't want to i don't want to shit on them <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, of course. Of course. It's like every screenwriting class where they're like, no, we're going to watch Pulp Fiction because it breaks all the tropes. But you can't do that. Yeah, because yeah. You, no, oh, yeah. there have been many trailers where I'll do something really weird and my producer's like, no, let's go back. <laughs> <laughs> Try again. <laughs> When you're editing, is there, I guess, in the house that you're at, do people get kind of typecast within their editing style? There's somebody who's like go-to gun-clicking rhythm sound person versus the, you know, the go-to comedy person. So it obviously always depends on the vendor. Mm -hmm. I've worked at shops where people do get very typecasted. If you are making money in comedies for the trailer house, they're going to keep putting you on comedies. <laughs> sure. They're going to make money off of you. If you're making money in the action world, they're going to keep giving you action trailers. But I also will say houses tend to respect their editors. Editors are valuable. They need them. So if you personally want, say you're the comedy guy and you want to do more action stuff, mm-hmm. they typically will let you try it for sure. I mean, obviously it depends on budgets and such, but... They want to keep your own progression and you happy in terms of stay here, keep working with us. Yeah. If I throw you eight comedies in a row and you're like, okay, I'm getting over this. Give me a (laughs) rom-com. Or even I've been doing a lot of streaming. Can I get a theater? Like, I I think the communication Mm -hmm. between you and your producers is very important and asking for what you want. Because people do get stuck in something and some people love that. That's great. If you're good at something, stay in it. I like to be versatile. I like to jump around a lot, Mm -hmm. do a lot of different things. I'm working on constantly like, hey. Want something else? Give me, give me this. Don't be afraid to be the loud one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It almost feels like because that initial pitch process is they're trying to get as many views as possible, it almost seems like it's a low stakes, I mean, relatively low stakes, to let people just test it out. Like if it works, great. If it doesn't, who cares? Somebody else got it. Totally. I will say the money side of that can get tough. I I don't see the numbers and budgets and everything, but I know there have been some trailer houses I've worked at who we really can only afford to put one to two people on this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I feel lucky the company I'm at that there is some flexibility to let us, okay, you want to try this? Go for it, you know? Yeah. Let me finish up the timeline real quick then. So you've cut together these spots, there's cut downs, it's going to all of the multimedia platforms in every imaginable way. So as these things get segmented and come out and the, the product, the movie, the TV show, the video game, it comes out. Is that when a project is done and moved on or is there life after the release? So if something does well, there is review spots. So you'll get reviews Mm. and push those. And then there's home entertainment, which used to be giant campaigns. You would get another trailer or two for home entertainment, more TV spots like out now, Mm -hmm. those budgets and that world is obviously shrinking as things become available quicker. And for home entertainment, often they'll start over completely. They'll go to different vendors. There's some vendors that are really good at Mm. home entertainment. I would imagine the studio at that point understands how the audience is reacting. So the guesswork that they were doing with the pre-release is a known factor at this point. Totally. You know the story you're telling, but then it's how do we make it fresh for, okay, now you need to 
own it. I have seen some, if you search, this is kind of an older thing, but search a trailer release for a movie and then the home entertainment trailer, like there are some pretty big differences. Um, yeah, that's yeah. obviously, that, that is shifting. I think they're getting more and more similar, less budget. So it's like, okay, we can't start from scratch on this. So let's just repurpose it. Yeah. When you're making your spots and you have your team that's putting graphics out for you, working, getting sound for you, is there ever an instance where you're just like, you know, it'd be really great like a cutaway to the main character, like with bug eyes going, whoa, and they don't have that. Do you ever get to ask for that type of stuff? So there are instances where you can ask for dailies. So if I'm just given the movie and I'm like, let me search for everything you shot in this scene just to see if it exists. Mm-hmm. Often denied access to dailies, but you can ask. <laughs> Doesn't hurt to Doesn't ask. Doesn't hurt to ask, yeah. And in terms of special shoots, like, oh, let's go back in and shoot this. Mm-hmm. In that instance, like, so they're cutting a trailer. We just need this reaction. Not likely. Special shoots happen as a conversation, usually before. Usually it's for a teaser. Like, we're going to shoot something specifically, not like in the movie, to get people excited about this. Sure, you're talking about And that's like, a walk-up, slow motion, you know, yeah. like in its own green screen room to build around gotcha. it, stuff like that. Because there was stuff like that when um, when Rogue One came out. They were talking about how there was all sorts of really cool shots that were just cool looking and people were like, I cannot wait for the main character to be there. And then that TIE fighter shows up and then it just wasn't in the movie and people are expecting these beats. Is there a consideration to that aspect that people are going to see what's there in the trailer and then when they get there, they're like, the hell was that scene it's not there no not at all our our job <laughs> is to get you there whether you leave happy isn't really our concern <laughs> mm-hmm. obviously we want good word of mouth and stuff but we just want to get as many people as we can there so if that is shooting some special footage often comedies the jokes in the trailer are in the movie because we sure. get daily so we're searching for like ad lib jokes and by yeah, the end of yeah. a campaign you're searching for anything new so often jokes that are in a trailer aren't in the movie so yeah and consumers if they miss it like that's fine i guess yeah i guess it's loose because the main point in the story is still the same it's just yeah maybe you're getting a different seth rogan laugh yeah. than you would in the movie and in terms of rogue one it got you excited to go see it that specific yeah. wide not being in the movie it doesn't change the story so mm-hmm what are the discussions like between wanting to show something cool to get butts and seats and spoiling the movie? Usually if there is something the client doesn't want us to show, they will tell us. Just flat out be like, this is a, a no list. Yes. I rarely mm-hmm. get a no list to start. And I think intuitively there are some things I know not to show. Yeah. My personal editing style, I want to say the least and show you the least and get you excited. So the last third of a movie generally, there'll be some cool shots I'll pull, but I won't touch dialogue from the last third. But that's just a personal choice. Usually for V1, they won't say, don't show this. It'll be a discussion because of testing, like, hey, we want to hold this. The director asked us not shows. It'll be later down the line that they'll pull back on something. It seems so interesting. You keep saying that they will ask the director. So it's maybe not the director having creative control over these trailers. Directors, it really depends on who the director is mm-hmm. and their relationship with the studio. Some directors mm-hmm. have a lot of say, but they won't show a director until they're happy with it. So until the vendor and the client are happy with what they're working with, they won't show the director. And then they'll show the director and he may have a say or he may not get a say or she because 
they're not big enough yet, I guess. Some directors get saved from the get-go. I've had some directors come into the office, sit in the bed, get really into it. But Mm -hmm. often it's a conversation between the client and the director and how much say they get is on, I don't don't know. (laughs) There there are times where trailers are blown up by directors. That's always frustrating. Yeah. But sometimes it's, we want to get seats. So your personal opinion doesn't matter. When you were talking about how some of the discussions about things to show or things to ask to be shot are happening before the edits happen, can you go over the pre-production process before you start cutting a trailer? Yeah. So in terms of asking a special shoot is shooting footage just for a teaser trailer. Mm -hmm. If a client came to us like, hey, we want you to cut a trailer for this. I would never pitch a special shoot. A special shoot is something that the client internally discussions have decided that they want to start with this specific special shoe and they'll come to us with ideas or we'll pitch ideas. But choosing to do a special shoe is a conversation before I even touch it. They'll come to me to cut gotcha. the special shoe or come up with ideas for a special shoe, but they'll know they want that before mm-hmm. cutting a trailer. Okay. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. So the timeline on these, I mean, it seems long. It can be. Yeah. Again, it depends on the movie. Some we get shooting dailies and campaigns will like, you'll release something a year before it comes out. Some are very quick, especially with these streaming services. They like to release a trailer a month before. So then you only have a month long campaign. Granted, you'll be working Mm -hmm. on it a while before, but that's a much shorter window than traditional theatrical. So that's been something new. I mean, I've had to cut a trailer very quickly. I've had to cut a trailer and had two weeks. It just depends on the budget and the campaign. Yeah, yeah. How how late in the game it is. It all depends. So my big question is, how did you get into cutting trailers? Was that a childhood dream? Not a childhood dream. I went to school to be a news anchor and Mm -hmm. I quickly learned that news anchors get told what to do all day. They read (laughs) off a prompter and that wasn't for me. I... Mm produced a show early in college and I realized I was able to do a lot of the aspects of producing this show by myself, except for editing. I had no idea how to Mm -hmm. hire an editor. I I watched her, but I had no idea what she was doing. So because of that, I was like, she has all the power. She does. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the final, the final story edit is in edit. Yeah. And so I learned how to edit, took a bunch of internships and knew I liked trailers. So that was the world I decided to dove into. So when you graduated, did you immediately start applying for trailer jobs or how'd that work? So in school, there's a list of trailer houses online. I was emailing them all, blasting them all. I went to school (laughs) in Des Moines, Iowa. So from Des Moines, Iowa, blasting all these trailer houses in LA. Not a huge trailer business in Des Moines. Yeah. And I was obviously hopeful something would happen, but it didn't. No one really replied. So Mm. I took a job in Des Moines and just saved a bunch of money and then moved to LA not having a job. And that's something that I'm sure many creatives have told you that's kind of what you have to do. You have to be in LA to get jobs in LA. Yeah. Yeah. It it sucks. I wish that was not the case, but it's very true. Yeah. So you moved out there without a prospect at all. You just saved your pennies and were like, let's do it. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to get into trailer editing. So again, once I got out here, I spammed the ball, no real reply. Mm -hmm. I came out here thinking I wanted to edit. Obviously I wanted to edit movie trailers, but I didn't really understand the process to get there. Mm -hmm. But I quickly, through looking at job postings and stuff, learned assistant editing is a step. So Mm -hmm. I was just looking for any assistant editor job. And I took an assistant editor job for a fitness production company just to have a job, first of all. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. You got to pay the rent. Yeah. Yeah. And I was there for about a year and a half and I learned how to be an assistant. Being an assistant editor is not the same as being an editor, but it's a step you have to take to become there. And then after being there about a year, 
I started spamming these trailer houses again, looking for assistant editor jobs. And I was very annoying to these trailer houses. Like we're talking, (laughs) the one I finally got into, they replied to an email. So that's great. And then I started calling Uh and calling every week. Like, hey, I just want to make sure this got into the right hands. Once I got the name of the person above the receptionist, like, hey, can I talk to so-and-so? Who is like, can I talk to the head of the assistant editors? I was calling every week, just (laughs) checking in. I don't, I don't know if that's great advice, but... But just super casual, just like, oh, I'm here to talk to Frank. No big deal. Once I got the name, I was like, I'm here to talk to so-and-so. They'd be like, who is this? Autumn <laughs> <laughs> But eventually they had me come in to try a week. Yeah. I kind of learned their workflow and I worked tonight, so I was able to keep my other job. I kind of learned some things that they did in their workflow. And then after that week, I didn't hear anything for like a few months. And then I finally got hired on by them. Yeah. So it took it was a long and not everyone's yeah. journey is that way, but it was a process for sure. I didn't, it took a minute to get in the door. First off, you said that you came in for a week. So in the initial beginning, this is more of a freelance gig and you're full time now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in the beginning, it was like a freelance come, will come try you out. And I don't know if that's mm-hmm. standard or if that's common, but they were taking a chance. I had no trailer experience. I had never assisted yeah. edited as a trailer. So they were taking a chance on that. And I don't think I knocked it out of the park that first week. There was a lot of workflow things, a lot of things I'd never done. I'd been an assistant, but being an assistant is very technical. It's not creative. And so yeah, you're gathering a lot. Yeah. You're, you're just taking a bunch of media and transcoding it and you can't mess up. You really can't mess up. So I don't think I knocked it out of the park, but they finally, I continue to call every week, check in, any availability, let (laughs) me know. And so they finally hired me on to work in their broadcast divisions. And I was like, oh, I want theatrical, but it was a foot in the door. Get me in. You're like, I'd like theatrical, but I will literally do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And So that was my personal foot in the door as an assistant editor. Mm -hmm. I was an assistant for quite a few years, maybe three to four. It is hard. It is long Mm -hmm. hours. And being a great assistant editor has nothing to do with being a great editor. Yeah, because if you're saying assistant editing is all is mostly technical work, that you are the sous chef to the actual chef, that it is not about your eye. It's about your malleability to be able to work with this person. Totally. And also an assistant editor in the trailer world doesn't work with one editor. Like it's not like you're an assistant to an editor. An assistant editor in the trailer world works in a room full of assistant editors that help all the editors. Yeah. So if the editor says, hey, I need an emotional beat for this one thing, you're like, cool, here are the time codes for all the emotional beats and here's exactly where they are. Not even that. It's more like, first of all, making sure I have all the media transcoded into a format I can use it. Right. Stock footage. Hey, I need stock footage for this. Mm. It's very, when you find something gets sent out, it has to be transcoded again to a different format to be sent to the client. Just a lot of, and I'm I'm sure I'm forgetting things they do. They work very hard and they do a lot. Oh, they prep. So when something finishes, you have to know how to do an XML and EDL, all these things. It's very hard, very hard work. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the frustrating parts is being a great assistant doesn't make you a great editor. And it took me a long time to realize that becoming an editor, you have to do on your own time. You have to stay late. You have to show your work to other editors. I mean, I will say being an assistant, you build relationships with people in your shop so that it's an important Mm -hmm. step. I don't think it's, you can't just jump in as, you can jump in as an editor, but it's very uncommon. Yeah, it definitely seems like to get your foot in the door as an assistant editor is extremely valuable to brush up on your technical skills. And you get to look at everyone 
around sequences. So you're yeah, seeing yeah. how things are done. You have access to the movies. So if you want to cut on your own time, you have access to them. Can you just go up to one of the editors and be like, hey, can I just ask you how I did this thing? In the same way that you were calling, can you just be like, editor, tell me your process? hundred percent. And I think 99% of editors are very open to helping younger or up and coming editors. Obviously there's that one person, but you know, <laughs> you, and you figure that out. Yeah. I had so many editors help me along the way. I mean, everything I learned, I learned through other editors. So well, then for somebody who wants to make that jump from assistant to editor and you are doing it on your own time, what is the type of things that you now as an editor look out for uh, when advising that? Consistently putting in the work. I think, and mm. I'm guilty of this as well, I would cut a bunch of spots one month and then not be trying as hard for another month. I think mm -hmm. consistency is where you really learn a lot. You have to be willing to put in the time. And I think obviously... As an old editor now, I look at the young kids and I'm like, you're not trying hard enough. You're not staying till 2 a.m. Let me tell you I what I had to do. 2 a.m. every night for months. <laughs> and I think there's a little bit of that. Like you have to put in the grind. But ultimately, yeah. if you can tell a story and you understand music and you understand sound effects, you're fine. You just have to, um, first of all, I would show editors to have them critique. And then you start cutting spots for producers. Like, hey, I need mm -hmm. 15. Are you here? Oh, they're going to send out 30s. Cut a 30. Try to get it in the batch. Yeah. 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 It's just being open and available and saying yes. Yeah. And being willing to put in the time. Like it's yeah. not fun. You want a social life, but being willing to put in the time, I think really pays off. And I, I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago, even as an editor, I was staying late on my own time just to perfect it. I wanted to get better and I wanted to try different things. Yeah. But yeah. Well, it's a really small industry. I mean, if there's, you're saying there's only about, you know, 15 or so houses in Los Angeles, you know, maybe a dozen houses in New York and a handful elsewhere. I mean, you're talking less than a couple hundred people who are editing trailers. Oh my God. I never, no, there's, there's definitely more than that because we have awards. Oh, maybe it is. It, it seems bigger than that. <laughs> yeah. I would bet there's less than a thousand. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I yeah. would agree with that. <laughs> And that's such a small number. Yeah, I never thought about that. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So knowing that that's such a small number and, you know, not to like scare people away from doing it, it just means that if you want to become part of that number, it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. You have to put the work in. And I, I think it's very frustrating. It's not going to happen as you follow your career trajectory. Because if you mm. start as an assistant and you become the best assistant, you're not going to become an editor. Like that's not how it works. Yeah, it's just it's, different skills. It's all self-motivated. No one's there yeah. being like, oh, you're in a great assistant, cut a 15. That just isn't how it works. Do editors have demo reels or is the trailer the demo reel? So um, I have a website that has all sure. the trailers I have finished or all this, like not all the spots, but things I like that I have finished. Mm -hmm. And I think that's pretty standard for an editor. Okay. Do you have a favorite uh, movie trailer? Yeah. So uh, trailers change drastically, I would say every 10 years. And I imagine there's probably seminal trailers that shocked the industry. Totally. And something I would encourage students to do this for interested in trailers. Every day I'm going to these websites. Ooh, this is a good insider tip. There's a Twitter account called Trailer Beat and okay. it's on Twitter and it basically will say which trailer house cut which trailers mm -hmm. for different things. Constantly watching things is a way to learn and you see everyone's cool work or you can be like, I like this yeah. about this and critiquing them, I think is a skill that will help make you better. So I definitely recommend that. Mm. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, favorite trailers. Yes. The social network changed trailers forever. The way they use sound, the way they use music, sound effects, like that trailer changed everything. Mm -hmm. An even older trailer that I recently found that is 
so sick. I don't know who got it. Producer suggested it as a reference to me and I watched it. And it's called Little Children. I've never seen the movie. Oh my movie. God, I love that movie. I love that movie. The trailer is so sick. You have to watch it. Yeah. It's one of those ones that is like way before its time. That yeah. technique is something I would love to replicate and apply now. It's so good. Well, yeah. Can, here, let, let me let me take a moment. Let me find it. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then I want you to tell me about <laughs> why. And the, it'll be interesting to have you watch it because... This is one where the rules are broken. So Okay, and this is just like the official trailer? I think that, yeah. Does it start with the train noise? I feel like I'm watching parallel visual storytelling that's happening between edits on action and visual parts of the frame. I love that it's it's building up to basically a, a train wreck, I'm assuming, right? totally not a train wreck it's passing trains and it's like but the kids train ride there was a kids yeah. train <laughs> yeah yeah okay okay so tell me about this why do you love this trailer okay so i haven't seen the movie at all um but i feel like seeing that trailer it's not an a plus b plus c mm-hmm. but i get the gist that there is a love triangle someone cheats on someone it's a, a love affair mm-hmm. and i think there's no music in that and the train sound effect Whoever thought to use that, there is no train in this trailer. There is a kid's toy train in the trailer. And choosing to start with that noise and feel the build and anxiety from that noise. Mm-hmm. That is something way, I don't know when this movie came out, like 2000. It's 2006. Yeah, that is way before its time. We were still having mm. narration in movies, trailers at that time. Okay. So it's sick that they chose to use a train sound when the only motivating factor for that is a kid's toy in the middle. That's yeah. insane. And it, it works so well to build tension and tell the story. You can still tell the story through that. I just... Absolutely. I, I, no, it's phenomenal. It parallels so well because it's called Little Children, not just because of the fact that the little kids are a byproduct of an affair that happens between Patrick Wilson and Kate Winslet, uh-huh. but because they are... Both in essence, the, the adults are acting like little kids. Basically, when you see after the trains pass and you see Kate Winslet have that look of realization of what just happened, the entire movie is not about the actual affair. It's about what happens after the affair. Oh. And so they're really only still, I mean, they're showing you clips from later in the movie for sure. But the way that they're building it is still first third of the movie. No, and I think that's this then is a good example of think of all the different ways they could have told this story yeah. and they chose to leave out so much of it. So much. Yeah. 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 But it's still, I don't know. I, I think it's a sick trailer and it's just like that's a very so cool way to tell a story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to talk about two other trailers really quickly. Okay, okay. Okay. And they're from this year. So I do love watching old trailers. I do think there's a period of time where trailer making change. So it's important to stay up to date on new trailers. And my two favorite trailers this year are yes. Promising Young Woman, trailer one. Mm-hmm. Very cool use of music. Very unique. It's becoming more of a trend now, but the music they chose is very cool. And it starts off with chaotic violins to start off with? Yes. Okay. Now I want to watch this one now. All right, we're going to watch it together. And this is one that when it came out, it was me and my nerdy trailer friends were like, yeah. all in it. <laughs> Just geeking out. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> all right, you ready? Yes. Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. You okay? 
are so pretty. I am a nice guy. Are you? All right. It's cool, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I had not heard this movie yet. This looks phenomenal. Yeah, no, I think the thing that really, and this has to go back to music selection when you start working on a trailer. This is the first trailer I've seen in a long time that went with a violin cover of a song yeah. that is close to my heart. I think that was just such a cool choice. Everyone knows the song, but if she put the regular Britney Toxic under it, it would not have had the same effect. Yeah. And now I think violin covers are very making a comeback now there was a lot yeah because it's so it, there was a lot of choral slowed down versions of creep which is in the social network yes yes and your music choice i think there's there's no rule for music choice but there's trends there's trends and there's picking a popular song versus a song that just got not cool you know what i mean like there's a period of time in the middle where it's not common to pick it and this music i love is finally coming back and being cool <laughs> So there's trends of music, and this is the first yeah. one that did this in a long time. So I think that's why I really loved it and is unique. Mm -hmm. But anyone that has a cool song or uses a song in a unique way, on board. Love it. Honestly, it made me feel like, and this has nothing to do with trailers, but if you remember in Moulin Rouge, when they start singing Roxanne, and it starts off with this violin cover that doesn't sound like Roxanne, but it's this very eerie Spanish sound. And then all of a sudden, when it clicks, you're like, oh! <gasps> Oh shit, that's the song. And it hits you. Um, yeah, and, and then also this. you're on board with it then. I feel yeah. like a song that is known, there's some value to that because you're like, oh, like I get it. Like now I'm on There's board. an emotional connection with the audience yeah, at that point with like, whatever song um, you're choosing. Oh, what was not us? What was before us? Get Out. Get Out, that trailer was another one that used music in a very creepy, cool way. It's just a unique way to use a song. Yeah. Okay, what was the other one that you loved this year? This year, let me see if I can make sure. It's The Ratchet. It's a Netflix show teaser. Mm -hmm. I have not watched this show yet, but I want to so very This trailer badly. will make you... I'm going to be on the hype train. Ooh, here we go. Do you want to have That's right. a cool one, too. <laughs> that is a cool one, yeah. Like, even looking at all the choices I've chosen today, there is a trend in trailers right now, and these do not fit that trend. There's a, mm. you mentioned Baby Driver with the cool sounds and the build, and like a lot of the Marvel trailers have these amazing oh, yeah. 800 sound effects and huge builds. This is clean, crisp, very little to it, but you get the point, and... The sound effects that are used are there for a reason, not just to build up, if that makes sense. Yeah, they're not, the sound effects aren't rhythmic. At yeah, I mean, they're rhythmic, purposeful. but they're not building. Because mm -hmm. like, has a reason, but I don't know. I just think that the two I've showed you break the mold, and that's why I like them. I yeah. think there are obviously a million trailers that have great sound design and build sure. so much and are sick, but these ones don't, and I think that's why I think it's cool. <laughs> What do you think then the next trend or next movement of trailers is going to be? Or where is it heading? Yeah, this is a conversation I have often with my yeah. trailer editing nerds. If you can figure it out, you're set. You're set for life. <laughs> you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. I think 
I'm constantly trying, like Quiet Place made mm. silence. I was like, is silence going to be the next thing? We've been pushing sound effects and build so long. Is silence going to be the next thing? Mm-hmm. Obviously, that was a specific movie. It's hard to do silence and everything. Yeah, sure. But I mean, I'm. But I can imagine unexpected absence of sound is it's powerful, though. For sure. And it used to be in the traditional when a card hits, you hit hard so that everyone reads it. Now it's like, yeah. When a card hits, if you cut the sound out, everyone will read it. So it's a new it's way just to kind as loud. of... But yeah, if you think of the next trick, let me know because <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly trying some things. There are a few things I like to do that I think would be cool for the next thing. They haven't taken off yet. So <laughs> yeah. Do you want to tell me about those or are you just keeping those in your, I mean, in your mystery bag? I mean, it always depends on the movie. I think if mm-hmm, the... Mm-hmm. I, I personally like to say very little, make the music right. the, the front runner... And the less you say, the better. The less dialogue, the better. And I think that's definitely a trend, but it's not that unique. Um, the Joker trailer is another example mm, of that. Yeah. Where the music takes over and even this Ratchet one, it's, you say very little words, but you get the story. And yeah. that's definitely more of a trend now. But Do you have a killer Spotify playlist of just potential tracks you're dying to use? Yes, I definitely have a play. And, and I have them for different genres. Mm-hmm. You just have to wait for the right movie to use them. Yeah. Also, something with music is even with all these songs you saw, it's not just the song. You're adding to no. it. Yeah. So some editors add some to it, but we also have music composers that add to it. Right. So that's another layer of help you can have. I don't want to pretend like we do it all on our own. <laughs> not sitting there with Ableton and your uh, and Pro Tools on your own. No, 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 no. But I mean... <laughs> It is your idea. And I think that's one of the coolest things about editing and why I tell people I love it is I get the first stab. I don't get the last say, but my ideas are the first things they see. And I think that's what makes editing really cool. Well, let me, let me wrap this up by asking you a couple uh, final questions. Okay. Is there something in what you're doing right now that if you just never had to do it ever again, you'd be more than happy to just not? Timesheets. I think everyone uses uh-huh. timesheets. For sure. You have to keep track of what you do and how long you do it so they can build properly. No one wants to do that on a Monday morning while accounting's yelling at you. So that would be are something. You, are you a fastidious timekeeper or are you just like, yeah, pretty much uh, three hours music right there? That For the right. sake of people listening, <laughs> I'm going to say totally I fastidious. keep track perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, what about on the flip side of that? What is a dream project or dream thing, your white whale project out there that you have yet to work on that you would love to? Obviously cutting more trailers for movies I love. There's always another finish to cut. There's always Mm -hmm. bigger movies and new directors and all this stuff you obviously want to do. It's interesting because people ask, oh, well, what's the next step in your career? And it's like, I want to keep doing this, but do it better. There's always better. And even the people at the top, there's always better, you know, like there's constantly growing. There's more movies, there's more styles to try. Sure. Well, is there a... A style that you haven't done that you really want to try? I would like to get a large finish on Marvel. I think that mm. would, I mean, Marvel's not necessarily my cup of tea, but I do think getting a large finish on such a big scale movie would be very cool. Well, let me ask you one final question then. Now that you have been doing this for a little while, what is something that you wish you knew when you started out that you know now? I think the knowing, yes, you have to be a good assistant, but you don't have to be the best assistant. If I had learned that early on, I would have invested more time in becoming an editor early on. Mm -hmm. But also you have to advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a personality type that is annoying. I'm not traditionally annoying and I feel annoying when I'm constantly like 
watch this. Will you look at this? Can I be on this project? You have to advocate for yourself. And I think the sooner you learn that, the better and how to do it with class and finesse. You don't want to be calling the owner of every company being annoying, but call the receptionist every day. Talk to your like favorite producer, ask for things you want. Having your own voice in this industry, I think is very important for getting what you want because everyone is trying to make money for the movie. Ultimately, your career is not a priority. So you're the one advocating for your career. Yeah, I say no one's going to give you your voice. I mean, it's yours. Yeah, yeah. And you have to constantly use it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, Autumn, thank you for sharing your voice. Yes. No, I I hope I didn't nerd out too much or dive too much. No, no, it was wonderful. Let's Get a Job is a co-production of Garnet Media Group and the Visual Communications Department in the School of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of South Carolina. This week's episode was co-produced by Callista Yost. I'm Jason. See you all next week.